Hello and welcome to a special edition of All Things Aviation and Aerospace, an acknowledgement of Hispanic Heritage Month. I'm Vince Mickens with the Private Air Media Group. As many of my regular viewers know, I do the show weekly to inspire the up-and-coming generation of aspiring young aviation and aerospace professionals. It's all about illuminating the opportunities, possibilities, and options within the aviation and aerospace industries. Many that most are not aware of, but have the skill set to do, if only they knew. We're currently multicasting on three streaming platforms, including Zoom Webinar, along with my Private Air Media Group YouTube channel and Facebook Live page. I have three really amazing guests today who have mastered their specializations in the world of STEM and are playing vital roles in human spaceflight, the special mission of returning samples from Mars, and climate sustainability from space. I'm gonna start out by introducing Eric Aguilar. Eric is a senior engineering manager at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California. Prior to his current role with the Mars Samples Return Mission, Eric worked on the Perseverance Mars Rover Mission. And these all kind of tie together and he'll tell us a little bit more about that. Eric, welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you, Vincent. Glad to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you. We also have with us Dr. Miguel Roman, the founding director of the Earth from Space Institute. Yes, that's what you that's what it's called, the Earth from Space Institute, which is a program of the University Space Research Association. And he's going to tell us all about that and and how he got into the science uh, of of climate, etc. Dr. Roman, thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's great to have you. Well, guys, um, we were talking a little bit earlier prior to the show. And, you know, one of the things that we really want to accomplish on this show is to to really get perspective uh, about your backgrounds uh, and how you have come to the positions that you have, starting with, you know, the beginning, really. Well, we, we won't start with birth, but, you know, close enough. Um and and I'm going to I'm going to start with you, uh, Dr. Ramon uh, or Miguel, whichever you prefer me to, to use. Um, if you could tell us a little bit about how you got started. And, and I understand that you actually went the engineering route, systems engineering first before switching over to science. That in itself is pretty interesting. But why don't you take us back a bit? Yeah, so um, I I've been an I have an engineering um, brain. I've always been interested in math and science as a core, and uh, that was that was the pipeline that I put myself on when when I was in Puerto Rico as a student. And part of it is I, I took um, I, I admire uh, my uncle uh, who was a, a key engineer uh, for the local Puerto Rico telephone company, and I don't know it was something about you know, his life bringing uh, that really attracted me. And, you know, I was very little. I didn't know what an engineering was, but I certainly wanted to be like my uncle because he had, he had a way with things. He used to break things and fix them. He, he had probably the only one of like 50 Saab um, Swedish vehicles in the entire island. You know, a Saab 94, 1984. I thought the thing was a spaceship. It was amazing. <laughs> you know, it had electronic... It had electronic log models back in 1984. I was like, this is, this is great. This guy is great. So, I, so he went to the University of Puerto Rico and Mayaguez, like all engineers went. 
And at the time, Puerto Rico's economic uh, development was mostly around manufacturing. And so if you wanted to be an engineer in Puerto Rico, uh, you had three options. You could work for the local Puerto Rico telephone company, or you could work for any of the manufacturing uh, pharmaceutical companies, uh, whether it's Pfizer or Johnson & Johnson, not a lot of people know, but all Tynanol developed globally is made in Puerto Rico, all of it. Wow. At the so, so you, Lilly plant in La Piedra. Yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, so, so space wasn't anywhere in the realm at that time. No, like when you live in an island, uh, where your your mindset, your horizon doesn't extend beyond that insular boundary. All you think is, well, I'm just going to be like my uncle or his friend, uh, work at Bacardi, Pfizer, or Puerto Rico Telecom Company. You don't see that yourself going beyond that, except when you start looking outside of that horizon and you start seeing things like the RSC Well Observatory. And you're like, wait a minute. This is interesting. Um, so I, I, I have a picture to show you because one of the things that happened to me is I had my first time living in the mainland, what we call the US continental United States. And I got sent uh, to uh, be a part of a 10 week NASA internship. And this is an internship that's dear to my heart it's called the NASA Academy. And um, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna show you one picture. Before you do that, let me back up and ask you, how did that internship even come into play if space really wasn't on your radar? So NASA has a deep relationship with Hispanic community in Puerto Rico going back to the early 60s. As it turns out now we have, we have NASA center directors who are Puerto Rican. Um, Puerto Rico has deep roots with NASA. And this goes back to early hiring of Hispanics that started, as I told you in the early 60s, we've had members like Orlando Figueroa who helped lead the initial uh, Mars missions program. And, and they created this heritage uh, of training and pipelines. And I'm the beneficiary of that pipeline. NASA gotcha. invested in the curriculum of Puerto Rico's engineering program to ensure that let's, it, okay, you're gonna, take mechanic you know you're going to learn thermodynamics but let's also learn about satellite signal processing just in case uh so they're trying to bake the nasa pipeline and techniques that you may not get at a major phd granting university in puerto rico and so you know the moment you apply for a nasa internship you you can check all the boxes you have to okay. work really hard you got to work really hard on that i remember doing those classes while sh you know doing my shifts at night cleaning you know, carpets in Ponderosa and Chinese steakhouses. It's not easy. Okay. But if you're willing to work an hour, you, you give, you give it up. I applied three times then. Oh, you did. And it, it took yeah, three times to get, get in the program. So it wasn't like you just applied and bam, you were on your way to, to the No, States. no, no, no. You got to work with the faculty at the university, make sure you're well connected with NASA's research program. You got to take those senior level courses. You got to do all that. Three it times over what up. period of time did it take? Uh, over about two years, three different programs. I applied in two summers. And I finally, on, on my sophomore, my, my junior year, I, I finally got in. I, oh, even wow. took, I even took a sea diving certification just okay. to say, maybe NASA wants me to become an astronaut. I don't know. This is so hard. So I actually <laughs> went off to Aguadilla and took some diving classes. Wow. I put it on my resume just in case, you know. It's, it, it was, it, it, the, that journey was all worth it. 
And yeah. even though NASA was not going to accept me or not, it didn't matter because I was going to get those skills for industry, for aerospace industry. It was going to happen. So Whatever then you, you finally get accepted in this program at NASA for 10 weeks. Right. And what happens? So enter Q. Let's, let's see this picture. So week two of my arrive at the U.S. and I got this picture. Um, let me see if I'm showing this correctly. Um, screen one. Yeah, so let me show you this picture. Sure. So this is me on week three being in the United States, and I get a VIP tour of NASA's Johnson Space Center. So that's why I have the orange badges, because we're actually going into the astronaut training facility. And I'm going to talk very briefly about the ladies that are, that are right next to me, though. The lady on the right side of me is uh, Dr. Julia Roman Duval. And yes, we're related by marriage. Um, <laughs> Julia is from uh, an internship. Head. Nice. Yeah, this was now we have two kids and a big house and the whole American dream. But she is now the, the lead, one of the lead scientists on the Hubble Space Telescope and will be managing uh, the, some of the science activities for the James Webb Space Telescope. Wow. Uh, she's also a marathoner and competed after having three kids um, in, in, in the U.S. Olympic trials in 2000, I think, 16 for Brazil. No slight to you, Miguel, but I should have had yeah. it on with, with yeah, you. Yeah, so let's set, let's set expectations here for a Puerto Rican guy who just like <laughs> became an earth scientist. And then the lady on the right is none other than astronaut Laura O'Hara from Sugarland, Texas. Wow. And, of, you know, you can see the height here. So um, both of them are around five foot six and I'm around six foot one. And you can't see it on the picture, but around oh, Laurel's on the left side, there's a there's a there's a practice mock up of the Soyuz uh, capsule. I couldn't fit in that thing. They were more than happy. They were happy to hang out on the Soyuz capsule for two hours. Like, no, I want out. Just like. And so they quickly know that Laurel was more, you know, just height-wise was going to be more than capable of becoming an astronaut. Um, but anyways, this is all to say all of us, the three of us, were engineers, you know, and we started as engineers. Wow. And our journey uh, through space research and space technology took us to some very different, you know, life through some interesting curves. And so we, we but that was also a major change in your life at that time. That's right. So um, it was a turning point. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was an electrical engineer, um, but I was built by NASA to learn how to process data in ways that could help me contribute to the Earth science mission at NASA. Uh, and it took me uh, a master's degree and my first year of grad school at Boston University to figure that one out. Uh, because that's the thing about being an engineer. You have the embarrassment of riches. You, you're good for a lot of things, but you need to find your life calling. Sure. Uh, my, my life calling was climate change because um, I'm from Puerto Rico, and Puerto Rico is one, one of the most places that is going to be battered by climate change. Right. Uh, we've so already, we we've do already actually about seen that. that. Yeah, and so to me, uh, the use of space technology and the talent from the aerospace community to bring that to bear uh, to help address the climate crisis, something that you can only do through the unique and global vantage point of space, uh, it's, it's key uh, to preserving uh, life on Earth. Sure. And so we're taking that, yeah. 
I was just going to say, before we dig deeper into that aspect of your life, I want to give Eric a chance to chime in here um, uh, and talk a little bit because he's he's on the engineering side of things uh, and talk a little bit, Eric, about your background, how you got started. And if there's some similarities between what you've experienced uh, in in starting out in your path uh, as compared to Miguel's. Yeah, <clears throat> no, thank you, Vince. Uh, Miguel, that was awesome. I, it's a great picture. I, I, I love it. That was great. Um, and, you know, similar to Miguel, right, you know, growing up, I didn't have a huge number of, of like, oh, I want to work for NASA or JPL. That was not in the cards. It was, you know, I, I, I'm thinking maybe, you know, I, I do have a math and science, you know, I really passion for it. And, and I thought, okay, engineering, but what kind? And I said, well, electrical, because they're everywhere. Guaranteed I'll have a job. So maybe that's, that's what I should do. It wasn't even, you know, understanding like, oh, here's my passion. Here's where I want to go. It was more like, I just want to make sure I have a job, a good job when I, you know, get out of college. Right. And, and, and so, you know, I went, you know, ended up going to uh, Arizona State University. I got my bachelor's in electrical engineering um, from them. And, and one of my internships was with uh, Honeywell Aerospace, um, you know, working and testing with flight management systems and, 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 and doing that kind of work. Was that your first introduction to anything that had to do with aerospace and aviation? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I was, um, as, a, as an intern, you know, I was a... a you know, asked to come in and help um, initially was sort of help, I'll say push paper around, right, you know, get some, you know, de, you know, some coding, um, you know, get some uh, coding standards and put it into all, all the uh, various uh, code modules that the team was working on. And, you know, uh, fortunately for me, I, you know, I was sort of like, hey, this is probably not exactly what I wanted to do. I, I really want to do more stuff. So how can I finish my work here faster? So I was able to actually write up a uh, program that effectively did all my work for me. And I did all my work in like about a week or two when they wanted me for 10 weeks. So, so I, I kind of had to force Honeywell to give me more work to do. <laughs> and and by <laughs> sort of by showing them, Hey, I can actually do more than what you maybe thought I could do, right? I I, I wrote a program, it went in, did all the, everything I needed to do, just did it really fast. Eric, I have to ask you, how did that compare to the other your fellow interns? Were they were they that capable, or were you kind of shining there? Well, I, I think you know, I think they were they were capable. We all just had different. It was all sort of the different, uh, you know, different uh, groups that you were put into. Now, my thing was I was also. Honeywell was local to where I was going to school in Arizona. So, you know, they said, well, how about you start doing some testing since you seem to know what you're doing here, right? So they, they, they added, they threw me into like the software hardware testing, like the system level testing. And I started testing, you know, with, with new builds of, of, of uh, software and, and hardware and, and trying to make sure that the flight management system was working as expected. And then later they said, hey, well, I know you're going to school, but if you're willing to work part-time, we can hire, hire, hire you on as a, you know, academic part-time. And, you know, you can work up to 30 hours a week if you like, you know, just, you got to manage your time. So would you credit yourself with the initiative you took on that to? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Right. It, it was the way pushing, you did. 
Exactly. And it was, it was wanting, you know, and sort of like what Miguel said, right? It's, it's this want and desire to do the hard work, right? Having, you know, pushing forward because it was, it was sort of like, I, I don't want my internship to be whatever they're giving me. I, I want to be in charge of it. So I want to push forward. I want to, you know, I want to break through and say, hey, I can do more than what you're showing me here, right? I, you know, so, so that was the, you know, that was, it's actually the same thing I, I tell my, my, the interns I hire too, right now, right? When I'm on the other side of it now, I said, look, I'm going to start to give you assignments. I'm still trying to gauge your ability and capability here. You push past it. I, that means I'm just going to give you more and more and juice your assignments. So it's up to you to show me that you want, you want to take those reins and you want to take that work in, right? Yeah. And, That's a great um, thing to, to point out though. I think it's really important for young people watching this show and even their parents and, and those, those in the industry, that that does make a difference. The ones that take the initiative, the ones that want more and the ones that push for more. But I'm curious with you, does this come all the way back from your childhood? Were you like this in middle or high school or even before in terms of wanting more uh, curiosity uh, and natural leadership? Yeah, I, I think um, I'll, I'll say couple things to that right one is is yeah i i uh uh had this curiosity of wanting you know you know how do things work and everything else my 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 dad used to say hey can't watch anything with you because you're always telling me oh they, they did it this way or they did you know they did something you know and, and i'm always trying to break down the what, what what just happened right um and and so you know one of the things with that is yeah i i, I got a lot of that curiosity i think i got the the hard work cemented in from my parents, right? I saw them work. My, my mom's a, you know, a, a business owner. So she has a small business that she runs and, and, you know, she did that whole transition while, while we were growing up. So I can see her doing that work. Same with my dad. Right. And, and so, you know, I saw that and was, it was sort of instilled within me, you know, to, to do that, you know, the, the, the leadership, I I'll say, you know, I, I know I, I am and I'm all, I am in leadership positions and I do that, but I feel that that is something that I I still strive to do better. Um, no matter how good someone tells me, oh, you're such a good leader, you can do this, you can do that, you can you have you know great qualities there, but you know I always feel that it's not a it's not something that you can ever at least in my mind it's not something that you can ever just reach and and you become a leader. I think you're always striving to be a better leader every every single time. So, work, I don't, so work in progress. It's always a work in progress, at least in my mind, right? So yeah. I, I try to always, uh, yes. I was just going to say within, didn't mean to interrupt you, but with the, with the interns, now that you're on that side of the fence where you're the ones looking at them and their skill sets and their potential uh, in the industry, what, what kind of qualities do you look for with them when you're selecting interns and when you're bringing them into the the so obviously, you know, they have to show they have the right, you know, aptitude, right? You know, grades, grades really help out with that, right? Um, also, you know, there's, there's a, there's a thing that I like to do. And, and, you know, for all the people that, you know, eventually will, will run into me at, at a, at a, you know, ship conference or something like that, you know, where I'm, I'm recruiting, you know, you, you'll, you'll know, you'll know one of my little secrets, right? But the idea is, I, I actually, one of the things I like to probe on is this, do the people understand their own limitations, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and have a have the ability and the courage to say, I really don't know, 
but I can go ask and I can go get this information and, and process it and, and do it, right? I know that everybody, especially anybody even coming out of school, no matter how good your grades are, it's not going to be a direct translation into the job. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to understand there's going to be things that you're going to learn on the job. But you have to have that ability to say, I actually don't know. I, I have to be able to step back and say, I don't know that, but I, I can learn it or I can, you know, and so sometimes I actually start to as I look at their resumes and talk to them, I start to ask them questions that I think they actually don't know. And I can start to tell if they actually have, if they're starting to try to lie to me about, oh no, I do know that, or I've done that, or they try to start making things up, then I probably know they're not the right, they're not the right fit for me because in, they're not in our, being honest with themselves. They're not being honest with themselves. And then at the same time, right, I know that everything that I do at JPL from from the sample caching stuff to the stuff I'm doing now, those things have never been done before. So there's going to be questions. There's going to be, I'm going <laughs> to not know something. As much as I've worked at JPL, I'm going to not know something that I have to go and research and ask and find somebody that does, get that information, process it, and then come back and do the work, right? So I have to be, you know, we, as, as much as I've done it, I'm, I'm sure Miguel runs into that too. Right. There are things that we just don't know, but we have to be able to say that, understand it, recognize it and then, you know, do it and then come back in. You know, I, I had I had uh, one of my interns. I, I, I when I was interviewing him, I said, oh, I, can you also do this? this? And he you know, he said, look, to be honest, I don't do that. Um, I can learn, um, but it's just something I, I don't know. And this and that. And, and I, I think he got nervous that oh, interviews over. I'm done because I didn't know that little piece. And I said, oh, it's great. I'm glad you, you you told me that. That's not really what I wanted you for, but I just wanted to see if you know you were able to to you know talk. You're doing an integrity check. Hey, listen, it, it, I, exactly. <laughs> while I have both of you, because I know that you're going to have to bow out in a bit, Eric, and I wanted to ask both of you together. Uh, well, so both of you are obviously very accomplished with what you're doing, and and did very well in school, etc. Uh, both of you are very persistent with moving forward in your careers, uh, starting early on. Uh, but putting the dealing with the elephant in the room for a minute, you're both considered Hispanic minority or, or some, you know, description of that. And so when you were, uh, for example, with you, uh, Miguel, when you got into this internship at NASA, you I'm guessing you were probably a minority in the group. And Eric, the same thing with you when you started with Honeywell. I would imagine the same thing. Can both of you speak to that a little bit, please? Sure. Elephant in the room. <laughs> Eric, why don't you start? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so so Honeywell was good about right uh, diversity, but yeah, you're right. I, at the end of the day, right, I was you know probably you know ten percent or you know uh, of the company that you know looked like me, right? Had you know dark skin and and you know. Uh, you know, Hispanic last name, right? So, um, you know, but but I, I was able to, you know, uh, sort of, you know, fit in with, with you know, the just the technical side of stuff, right? I, I think I've been a little fortunate in, you know, a lot of a lot of the places that I've been to and worked at, right, focus more on your technical ability than sort of than the color of your skin. Now, so if you have the skill set and you could do the job, so be it. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's what it came down to, right? I, I mean, they they really, you know, at first, I, I think some of it was, some of the surprise wasn't that I, oh, it's like, oh, it's a Hispanic kid that can do the work. It's like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a sophomore in college that knows this stuff. Like, right. oh, that's, <laughs> like, that was their surprise, not so much the, you know, you know, uh, uh, oh, you know, oh, are you sure you can do that? Because you don't look like you're from around here kind of thing. No, it was more. It was more that, and, and I think partly in, in Honeywell, there was actually a lot more uh, international people, right? A lot of different backgrounds that were from a other, lot of different cultures. Okay, a lot of different cultures. So it, it just kind of meshed that way. And, and and JPL was the same way, very much a, a melting pot there, right? And and uh, same thing. They they really look at your technical ability to to get something done, and 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 really the other stuff really doesn't play. Too much. And I think I've been fortunate in that aspect as through my career. Yeah. Miguel, would you say the same in reference to your internship at NASA when you first were starting out? Actually, it's um, about the same at the early career, not as much at, at the stage where I am. And you need to understand it's earth science, it's climate science. So when you start thinking about our national dialogue about the underserved communities that are most likely going to be affected by climate change, there's certainly Hispanics are at the top uh, with African-Americans and, you know, many different uh, groups who have for many years being um, uh, left out in, in the decisions about the infrastructure that we'll need to build from flint water, you know, water, you know, hurricanes. You, you know, part of what we're, we're talking about to this that you got, you know, you can train anyone skills. You know, you may not have them at the time, but training skills with people who have a spongy brain, it's easy. But bringing people with the right attitude and background in oh, certain situations in a different, different ballgame. I oversaw the 2000 hurricane, hurricane season at the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy during hurricane, when Hurricane Maria was in Puerto Rico. My background being there at the time advising the president on these issues made a big difference uh, because it involved uh, a lot of understanding. I've, I've advised um, uh, the federal government on many issues pertaining to Latin America and the Caribbean. So of course, um, having that background is essential uh, to being able to uh, make progress around policy issues of energy, equity, climate change, um, disasters. And so certainly there are some specific areas, especially with our next generation Latinos, uh, where families are like, do, do we want to teach them Spanish? Yeah, you want to, because that's a skill set that they're going to need. Then they will be a major asset for them to step into a leadership role. I'm currently the youngest and only Hispanic director in U.S. history. Wow. You know, that speaks a lot to a lot of, um, that, to we a lot of very, what we're very, talking you know, about. Yeah. Yeah, so that, you know, and when I was an intern, I was the only Hispanic intern. Yeah. And, but like I said, it's, it's, you're bringing in a perspective, but you need to find that strength that brings in and, and enhances the organization. And that is critical skills, thinking about who benefits from NASA Earth Science Mission at the societal level. Uh, sure. So I get to think about things like that and advise NASA in ways that help uh, advance the science for societal benefits. Sure. Let me uh, introduce Dr. Uh, Pablo de Leon. Pablo, welcome to the show. Good morning. From the University morning, of North Dakota. Good morning, Vince. How are you? Happy to be, happy to be here. How are you? Happy to have you. Hello, too. everybody. 
I'm, I'm gonna you're you're we're having a your video quality is kind of bouncing around a little bit i don't know if it's your wi-fi or whatever but while you take a look at that uh eric i know you're gonna have to go in a minute eric tell us a little bit about um first um your involvement with the the mars perseverance rover um uh, the perseverance mars rover and and what you did with that and then how that transitioned to uh to what you're currently doing which is mars sample recovery or sample yes yeah sample return yes yeah, sample so, return. Uh, i knew yeah, it was an r yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah so uh for the perseverance rover um you know my task was to be the the uh uh, product delivery assistant product delivery manager for the uh, sample caching system, and I manage a, a fairly large team of, of engineers that that range from uh, um, system engineering, uh, you know, mechanical stress analysis, uh, planetary protection, contamination control, um, you know, our development of our of our ground support equipment, um, integration and test, and and uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know, test, you know, and then just uh, test beds overall, right? So, um, so as part of that, right, we developed a robotic system with, uh, you know, 17 different actuators. It all had to work in concert to actually uh, uh, drill and take core samples out of, out of Mars and, and, and cache them and store them for a future return mission. Um, and I remember at the time, there was a lot, you know, I, as I was doing some of these uh, discussions with various media folks, right? One of the questions came up asking, well, what about the return? Are you excited about that? And, and, I, and I remember saying, you know what? That's a problem for someone else. I am focused on getting us to Mars, landing, doing the job, getting sa collecting samples. And, um, and now that other person that is now responsible or has to deal with getting, getting to Mars and picking up samples is now, uh, it's me. <laughs> so I went from doing the uh, uh, collection. Now, yeah. Yeah. So now I'm on, on phase two, right? So now I'm, I'm working as, as the uh, product delivery manager for uh, motor control. Um, and we're uh, developing a, a motor controller. Um, it's actually a, a, a Part of what we're doing is, is actually developing a, a lightweight motor controller because we have so many things that we're trying to take with us that we actually need the mass saving. So I'm, I'm developing a motor controller uh, that's probably about the size of a toaster <clears throat> when it comes down to it that, that will actually uh, uh, control all the, uh, the landing engines as we, as we come into, in, you know, as we come into to the surface during uh, entry, descent and landing. Um, and then we'll deploy the solar arrays. We'll, you know, articulate the landing legs. Um, and then we'll also interface with the uh, European um, uh, uh, robotic arm uh, or system for, uh, for uh, uh, pulling in and, and installing the uh, tubes in, into, the, into the rocket, right? Into the MAV, the Mars Ascent vehicle. Got you. When, um, so in terms of sample return, what time frame are we looking at with that? So we're actually still, I'll say we're still in the process of figuring that out. Um, at the moment, I, I couldn't tell you for sure the entire timeline, but I'll, I'll give you my portion, right? We are looking at a 2028 launch um, of, oh, wow. of, of our mission, but it's, it's, a, it's a combination of multiple- Over eight missions. years from now. Yes. <laughs> um, and um, well, uh, seven, seven years, years from now. Sorry, yeah, seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
I, I know how much time I don't have. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so no, it's about seven years from now, but actually I have to develop it actually even sooner than that. Um, uh, you know, I have to be, because by the time I have to finish my development, it has to actually go and get processed for flight and, and go into the vehicle and all the other stuff. So I actually have about, uh, about four and a half years to develop my portion of, of this, which is a, a, a brand new uh, motor controller um, that, you know, that we're going to use to, to, to land this thing and, and yeah. do a bunch of different It's just mind boggling how long it, 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 I mean, maybe to you guys that are in it and do it, it probably seems like I don't have enough time, but to the average person outside, it's like, wow, four, four and a half years that you have to, that you have to put something like this together that's the size of a toaster. Uh, uh, besides the time factor, how many people on the team are working on just that one aspect in terms so, of sample return? Uh, so we're still we're still planning that the early we're still in in the I'll say the planning phases. Right, um, we have started. We're my current team is is about uh, fifteen people, um, but we we are going to grow to about forty once we actually get you know once we actually get into manufacturing, testing, and and putting this thing together. Um, so, so it'll grow from the current state of about 15 people where we're doing some technology development to make sure that we can, we can repackage and get this thing as small and, and lightweight as possible to, you know, and then once we actually have to get through, you know, production run and testing and software development, you know, we're going to develop our own software. We're actually developing a new computer for this, right? So it's a brand new, uh, uh, flight computer, right. Um, plus a motor control electronics so um yeah there's a lot of new development here and and it's uh it's uh you know plus soft again plus software and everything so we have a we're going to have a fairly large team and and a fairly short window and you have to collaborate and coordinate with other teams that deal yeah. with other aspects of yeah. what this goes into uh, prepping it for launch what it's going to do when it gets on the other end and all of that, that's other teams that are involved as well. Right. Right. And that's, and that's, that's what, that's what requires such a amount of detail and planning at this stage of the game. Right. Is, and as you said, right. You can argue that, well, if I had to go build something, I, it can take me this long, but you know, some of the parts that we're actually building, some of it could take actually 38 weeks to get from a chip manufacturer, for instance. Right. So mm. It has to be radiation hardened, you know, for, you know, the radiation that Mars will see or that we'll see, you know, flying to Mars. So and all the different factors. Yeah. So so some of this stuff just takes a long time to get. So if I have to. Yeah, sure. I can order it early. But what happens if it doesn't work? Right. What do I do? You know, how do I sure. react? to that? So it, it's it's getting that planning. It's getting that understanding of what's going on, how to build it. And then, you know, we have to make electronics architecture decisions today that we may not fully understand until we actually implement a larger system to see how it's all going to react. Right. So we actually have to plan for, for different, uh, different aspects. And, you know, okay. More. Well, listen, um, I want to bring um, Pablo daily on into the conversation as he's joined us and been waiting patiently and Eric, whenever you have to uh, actually bow out to get back to work at JPL, feel free to do that. But if you want to, Stay with us for a bit and hear what Dr. DeLeon has to say. That'd be great, too. Yeah. Thank you very much for making the time. Thank you. Yeah. Dr. DeLeon, 
pa Pablo, as you tell me to call you. But um, thank you for being back on the program again. I know you're really busy there. As a matter of fact, uh, you said you're right in the middle of some things specifically today, which is why you had to join us late. But we're really glad to have you uh, on the show and, and look forward to, uh, to uh, talking about your background and everything. I just want to, I'm going to skip through to my uh, uh, little introduction I had for you earlier. Um, and just to let people know exactly who you are. So uh, Dr. DeLeon is a professor and the chair of the Department of Space Studies at the University of North Dakota. They should say University of Code, North Dakota. Um, he's also the director of the UND Space Flight Laboratory. And we had such a great conversation about what he does in terms of spacesuits and their design and their effect on humans and, and the long-term things they're gonna be looking at when people are going to places like Mars and things like that. Again, Pablo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Vince. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, to be in, uh, to have this uh, uh, companion of, uh, of colleagues, uh, also uh, Latinos like like myself. So so it's a pleasure to to be back. Yeah, uh, sorry about the problems. I'm oh, happy with okay. the camera though. Uh, it's uh, it, it seems it's uh, it's not passing the the vibration test. Uh, so uh, or you're actually on the space. moon and you're not telling us that and that's why we're getting this kind of a I wish listen we've been talking about backgrounds of uh, of Eric and and Miguel in terms of their early start uh, and I know you've done it before but love for you to tell us uh, your early start and how you uh, how you started in the direction of what you're doing now and, and how you became interested in space uh, and where that all began, going back uh, to your home country. Sure. Um, I'm originally from Argentina, and uh, um, I, I do remember very vividly when uh, Neil Armstrong uh, walked for the first time on the moon in 1969. And, and that's one of my earliest memories. Uh, and, and, and I'll say, I, I think I mentioned this to you before, that I can't remember a time where I was not interested in space. Uh, to me, it has been a, a lifelong uh, passion. And uh, um, I was lucky enough to be able to, to um, get access to the education that allowed me to end up working here. When I was a kid, I never thought I was going to live in the United States and, and, and work for NASA on projects. I was going to be working on spacesuits, anything like that. I wanted to, but I didn't know the way. Uh, so, so like most of us, uh, we were able to do what we want through a lot of, uh, lots of obstacles through our life and, and overcoming a problems and obstacles, I think, is, is, is very important for young people today to tell them, listen, there is a way, and it doesn't matter where you come from, if you are really passionate about what you want to do. So in my particular case, I was always interested in the space, always wanted to do things um, uh, related to, in particular, human space flight, which is my area of, of expertise. So uh, the way was uh, bumpy. Uh, to say the least, but but um, you know, how did you at, pull the two the end, together? I, how, how did uh, you how did you tie in your passion with actually starting to make it come to fruition? Um. Well, uh, I I always thought that life was too short to 
spend most of your day doing something that you don't enjoy. So sometimes you have to make sac sacrifices uh, on the way and, and, and you know, um, and be uncomfortable for perhaps long periods of time until you can find uh, that, that particular space that opens for you and allows you to start working on something that you really, you really like. Um, so in, in my case, it, it was, I, I had a lot of venues and I always try to, to, uh, to choose the one that got me closer to, to space and, and closer to what I wanted to do. So, so, um, so again, um, a lot of opportunities opened to me when I decided to come to the United States and, 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 and because before I was doing some things related to space, but not to the level that I wanted to. So in, in reality, and we have to say it, this, this is uh, still the country of opportunities that, that kind of allow me to, to, uh, to work in what I really wanted to, uh, uh, to, to do. And, and now, you know, I'm directing this, uh, the human spaceflight lab where we are building prototypes of um, spacesuits for NASA for Mars, no less. So, yeah. um, so I have been incredibly fortunate, but but again, this was tied up of uh, on the persistence on trying to force the circumstances to, uh, to 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 do the thing that I really wanted to do. I mentioned, uh, I think, in a previous uh, program that I grew up in a farm, so my my kind of my destiny was either milking cows or or um, the the, <laughs> the most related to space was to 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 repair to be able to repair engines for a tractor or anything like that so it was really really far uh so so uh and you see miguel is nodding between... in 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 agreement with you he he can relate uh from puerto yeah. rico yes 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 so so uh it, and you know when you think about argentina you can't get any farther from from uh, United States in in the continent in the Americas, right? Than Argentina, uh, so sure. so it, 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 it was it was it was a <laughs> it was a it was a hard it was a hard process. But, um, but what was the know, turning point I'm, for I'm you, here uh, and, Pablo? What was the turning point? Well, when it, you came to the <clears> states. <throat> when did things start to move in the direction that you were like, okay, I got this. Well, you know, in one point, I was already working for a very, uh, a very uh, fairly modest space program that we had in Argentina. It was mainly sounding rockets and 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 first satellites and and uh, that kind of stuff. But I was really interested in human spaceflight. So I had at that time I had two, two choices. One was the Soviet Union, and was the that's the United States. United States was kind of up north. The language was seemed to be easier. I don't know at the end because I still have a strong accent after like thirty years of being here, and that's not going to change uh, anytime soon, at least. But um, I think that you know what Hollywood played a very important role because the movies and the the series and the cartoons and all that made at least. In Latin America, we'll feel we feel way closer to the United States than we do, say, to Russia. Uh, while I was also admiring the Russian uh, cosmonautics, the, the 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 Russian space exploration, um, I felt that 
it, it was going to be a more direct way to do it with dates. And that's that's how it happened. And and uh, and again, I had to do some other jobs that were unrelated uh, before I could get my foot on the door with, with space. But, you know, it, it was all worthwhile. So, yeah, apparently the Martians are really trying to do a number on your video. Um, so I just wanted <laughs> to let everybody know that it's just, it's just a technical thing with your, your video. But while you're um, doing that, uh, I'm going to go to you a little bit, Miguel. Miguel, you were, you were about to tell us earlier about uh, a little bit more specific about climate sustainability and how important it is that you can do it from space. Um, yeah, to... so go ahead. Uh, let me just emphasize with Dr. Leon because one of the key lessons from, from this amazing panel that we are having, and thank you, Vince, for, for facilitating it, that underrepresented minorities. Um, face, don't face the same pipeline as other, other um, members of the American community because we don't have that uh, privilege of legacy uh, that they have. Like, you know, if I'm, if I'm the, you know, if, if my father went to an Ivy League school before me, then I'm a legacy. There's no such thing when you're, you're, <laughs> a, you're the right. first one in. I'm the first PhD, yeah. you know, in my whole family. So that is very important as we're talking about these because as you're, as you're thinking, the kids that are listening to this, the decisions that you will make down to the personal level are going to matter. I, one of the things that I, I think I tell people is if you want to be a PhD in aerospace or earth science, you're going to have to do what Pablo says, which is step out of your comfort zone. What does that mean? It means that you're going to have to be a poor grad student for a little longer, a little longer, because you're all going to be successful and get a bachelor's degree. And immediately, Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, and all these big aerospace contractors are going to try to hire you. But you're going to have to say, no, I'm going to try to live off a $20,000 stipend for another four years so I can become a PhD. Because the moment you accept that job after undergrad, you're, a, you're in a terminal degree, you just got a house, you got a new partner, a dog and a kid, and it's gonna be really hard to give those things off while finishing a PhD in part-time. Most people don't make it. Pablo and because is, you're is not part of the legacy, <laughs> yeah. And because you're not part of that legacy, daddy and mommy are not gonna put 20% of your mortgage we we're not we're not part of that those folks you're gonna have to make some very tough personal decisions so that you can reach your dream of being part of the aerospace community at a leadership level yeah. everyone can make it in the undergrad but let's face it that's like having a high school diploma right now you need to be certified you need to be very specific skill sets whether it's mechanical mechatronics or you know devices this requires you to have a very advanced understanding, you'd likely be the world's top expert at that. And that's what happens with climate change. You know, Vince, is you gotta be able to integrate that. The reason why NASA keeps coming to us, to USRA, is because we have system engineer skills, we have mission design skills, and we understand the science to promote climate issues all together. Gotcha. Without that, you know, and then you're just an environmental scientist, that's great. You're using our data, publishing papers, that you can do that at university, but if you want to work at USRA, you want to work at an NASA center, you're gonna to have to do more than just teach. 
you have to have a, that space on, onboard space capability. Tell us exactly really what you what tell us exactly sure. Tell us exactly what you do uh, in the climate science realm from space. What what does that actually mean, particularly to the young people watching in terms of so what could I what should I gear myself towards? When when you talk about the space business that we talk about so far, you talk about cutting metal building stuff, building an actuator, building an instrument that's going to be integrated into a spacecraft. And we've talked about the fact that that may take four years or 10 years to get it and put it inside a rocket and then launching it. My part is after you do that, you launch it in space, you do early orbit check card and you transition that spacecraft in operations and you begin to take measurements for very long periods of time. And so NASA has embedded upon me a leading role to manage these operating satellites, the Terra, the Aqua, the Swarming MPP, and NOAA-20 satellites, a team of over 100 principal investigators that look at this data and make improvements on it so we, we can track climate change in real time. And so my work is to oversee the entire science team of NASA's land discipline. It involves over 100 investigators. It had, it, they have, I have folks at Goddard Space Flight Center that measure the sea ice. I have folks at, at JPL that measure the land surface temperature and, and look over urban heat islands to make sure that people aren't getting, you know, aren't getting in trouble. I, I have people looking at air quality. I have people looking at stuff in the DOD world that I can't tell you. You know, so I, I look at different, you know, we are, my job is to be able to promote and advocate for the science. And we're lucky enough that these engineers like Dr. Rayon, like, that they're building these amazing systems that are way past their intended design. What does that mean? We build these systems, flight systems that are designed for to last three years in space, but then Vince, they last 20 years. Mm. And we're getting double, triple, quadruple our return on investments in terms of the science because they're operating way past. This is the beauty of American spacecraft engineering infrastructure. We always over, overbuild beyond the spec. Yeah. And we, the scientists, are the beneficiaries of that because that means more measurements, more science that are allowing the US government to lead in climate accords around issues of, okay, we know that China is contributing this amount of carbon emissions. What are you gonna do about that? This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna reduce methane emissions by X amount by 2030. How are we gonna do that? Well, we're gonna build instruments to monitor methane emissions from space at very fine resolution at three hour latency. Every, you know, within, within three hours, if there's a methane leak anywhere in the world, we're gonna detect it and we're gonna fine you for that. Got so you. aerospace, the aerospace role is becoming integrated with society and public health in climate, environmental issues. It's no longer being curious and exploring. We, we're getting right into the weeds of managing our economy from space. Gotcha. With the only way our nation's gonna thrive in this planet is by having space technology to monitor the earth from space. Yeah, I could do a whole show on you. I can see that now. Um, Dr. De Leon, uh, tell us a little bit about your aspect of what you teach there at UND with space studies and, and particularly with the, the, the laboratory that you run. And just, just give us the nitty gritty of that, if you would. 
Sure. Uh, ours is a graduate uh, department. So we, we just uh, offer masters and, and PhD levels in uh, space studies and aerospace sciences. And what we try to do is to create a very multidisciplinary program where you can see all the different aspects of, of uh, space. And, and, and there are many, and sometimes people, you know, just, just take into consideration the engineering side of it or the scientific side, but there's also space policy, space law. Um, there are a, a, a number of, of sociological issues, space psychology. There are a, a, a number of, of topics that are very important also for space exploration, especially as we are moving forward uh, into longer duration space flights. Um, and uh, where you have to take almost every single discipline of human knowledge into space. Things like, I don't know, nutrition or, or uh, 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 dental medicine, uh, odontology, or things like that, that will happen, that you will need those disciplines in a long duration space flight because things are going to happen and you have to react to, to, to them. So. What we're looking at is at every single human discipline and how, in which way it contributes to the future of, of um, humanity in, in space. So um, ours is a small program. We have eight faculty members and um, a, a hundred, and ha 150 master students and 30 something PhD students. So it's, it's fairly small. But, but very uh, important work that you guys are doing. Well, you know, our graduates are all over uh, NASA, the contractors, um, uh, now the Space Force, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and all over the space industry. So, so we are very fortunate to have uh, almost a thousand graduates uh, all over the United States and the world that, that they are doing amazing, they are doing amazing projects and amazing things. So um, our, we have, Two components. One is the distance um, component of the of the program. So students are taking it while they are full time employees. It's difficult to do because you have to handle, you know, your job, uh, your family, and and then the uh, a graduate program. Right. And we offer that as well. Uh, one third of our students are in the military, um, and also we have a campus, uh, a group of campus students, and uh, and they are doing amazing work as GRAs, as, as graduate research assistants. Uh, They're working in different projects. Uh, for example, I have an excellent group uh, of students with me in the Human Space Flight Lab. Right now they are printing, uh, using flexible filaments to print uh, portions of prototype spacesuits. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's uh, very fun, uh, interesting, uh, and, and, and kind of cutting edge uh, research as well. Um, so we are pressurizing uh, prototypes that are made with a 3D printer, you know, that, that just a couple of years ago, it was just for printing small toys. And, and now we're doing pressurizing structures with it. So, wow. uh, so it's very interesting. So as soon as they are, I always joke with them. I say that before uh, you guys, before the ink in your diplomas is dry, they're already picking you guys up from SpaceX or Blue Origin or, or NASA or Lockheed Martin or you name it. Right. So it, we, we have been very successful placing our graduates immediately in the workforce. And, and 
we mentioned this before, we are living a kind of a, a renaissance of space activities, uh, something that I never saw before, probably right. happened in the 60s in, during the Apollo times. Exactly. But it's again. Um, yeah. we, we saw, for example, yesterday, the, 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 the excitement about the second uh, human-rated flight of uh, Blue Origin with William Shatner, Captain Kirk, and, and all these... Uh, who who knew Captain Kirk would actually go into space? I, 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 unbelievable. <laughs> at 90. At 90. At 90 um, years old. So, Amazing. Uh, yeah, uh, unbelievable. So, and, and a couple of weeks ago, with the Inspiration4 crew, where, where four people untrained to, to go into space went for three days into orbit, uh, higher than the International Space Station. I mean, these things are science fiction. If I'm not seeing it with my own eyes, I wouldn't believe it. So, the, the level of um, a level of, of uh, activities that are happening to human spaceflight right now is just it's just amazing. Um, so we are very fortunate. The ones that care about space exploration are so fortunate of being able to to be in this particular time in in history where all these amazing things are happening. So I, I think uh, is is uh, is absolutely exciting and, and and you know the day doesn't have enough hours for me to keep up with all the things that are going on. And I, yeah. I think this is, this is. Yeah. Speaking of running out of time, we've run out of time with the show, but as I, before I, I, I wrap things up, I wanted to give you an opportunity. And I'll start with you, Pablo, to give a little bit of advice about from all that you've experienced and, and observed with your students, whether they're undergrad, graduate, uh, postgraduate. And by the way, point well taken that, that uh, Miguel brought up earlier that, um, yeah, I'll keep going past your undergrad degree another four years and you put yourself in major demand at, with, at the Ph.D. level. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I, I and you just kind of reemphasize that by saying that you guys can hardly hold on to people by the time they get, you know, they graduate. They're already being uh, poached by NASA or SpaceX or whomever. So um, but uh, any parting words of advice for for the next generation? Well, I fully agree with what Miguel was mentioning regarding that nowadays the bachelor's degree is just not enough. Uh, I see sometimes the students eager to go to the world because they are starting to get offers from, from companies. But I always try to, to, to tell them, listen, wait a little bit longer, stay in school, get a graduate degree, because you will be way more competitive in the world of tomorrow. Sometimes they are thinking about to just next week that they want to right. get a job and be out of school. And I think it's a mistake. It's, it's a, they, they should try to become um, real uh, experts in their area of, of research. They will be way more competitive, more employable, if you like, uh, in, in a future that will require these, uh, these uh, advanced degrees, terminal degrees. Um, sometimes I, I'm successful with my uh, with my uh, my advice, and sometimes I'm not. Um, and sometimes I get this um, this uh, promise of the of the students saying, "Oh, I'll be back next year. I'll do an experience next year." But as Miguel was mentioning, then you get your mortgage, then you get your rent, and then you get a family, and you get a baby on the way, and you can't and do that. Priorities so, change. <laughs> Yes, exactly, right. exactly. So it, I think it's important to to do that, to be persistent in in your in your goals and and have a, a longer term uh, vision 
of, of, of life in general and, and, and work and your priorities and, and try to, to, to complete your, your degrees. But um, again, this is a perfect time to be involved with, with, uh, with these activities. So I, I, I um, encourage uh, young people who want to get into space to, to, to just do it with full confidence and, and you know, move forward with your, uh, with your interest and your, and your passions. Well said. Miguel, uh, closing comments and advice? Yeah, I'm, and I know this is very important for the Hispanic community because one of the things that we don't mention is that, that sometimes that decision is done with the family deciding and weighing in. And because imagine you, you just went through university, your mom may be having three or four jobs, you know, making sure that you're going to university. And now you're saying that you're going to stay for two years. Are you freaking kidding? Get back, get back. You're going to help us with the business. And I've seen this happen so many times. So I've had to visit the family of the students and say, look, we just need them for one more, two more years. And here's going to be the bigger investment. And it is going to be very important. So I know that having the negotiating skills to meet with, with your, your stakeholders, your family, the people that care and brought you to be a member of your university is very important. And in that you can count on your mentors to help you vouch for that. I went on a major you know, um, loan to go to Cornell University in spite of the fact that NASA uh, gave me a fellowship. Uh, my mom was like, are you sure you want to take a loan? And I'm like, and NASA hired me and paid the loan. I only have to pay the taxes. You, you know, there's nothing but debt for taxes. You know that. So you stay only have to pay focused. the taxes. So the, the, you know, stay focused. Don't worry about the money because you're in the best sector in American economy right now. This is going to explode. There's going to be a major realignment in the way NASA does business. And it's going to be, and that realignment is going to be incumbent upon having an ex, a very world-class STEM workforce. Yeah. Boy, you guys are a wealth of information. Thank you very much for, for sharing. I am so sorry that we, we've actually run over time, but it is, it's worth it uh, just to hear your perspective on it. And, and I think both of you emphasizing the importance of the of staying focused and persevering with what you really want to do, even if it's going to take some sacrifice. But Miguel, you just said something that rings uh, really true uh, and, and I think is extremely important. And that, and that is really educating the parents about what's really important for the, the growth of, of their kid, uh, you know, getting into a great industry and how much they can accomplish in, that, in this industry. Um, if given the chance and if they pursue a little bit harder and longer, even though everybody has to make a sacrifice to do so. So uh, appreciate you bringing that up. Anyhow, guys, thank you very much. Uh, Dr. DeLeon, thanks for pulling away from your activities today to, to join us uh, for a bit. Uh, Miguel, thanks for being hanging in there for the whole thing while I was fitting everybody into a, a one hour show. Uh, appreciate you guys' input and, and, and advice and insight. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Vince, for the, for the invitation. And Miguel, it's a, a pleasure to, to meet you. All right. All right. Un placer igualmente. Igual. Thank you, Vince. It was great. I had fun. All okay, right. great. Well, wish you guys the best with everything and take care. We'll talk to you soon.
Thank you, everybody, for watching All Things Aviation and Aerospace. I'm Vince Mickens of the Private Air Media Group. Um, as you know, every week uh, we do our best to share enlightening perspectives on the plethora of opportunities uh, in the aviation and aerospace industry. And for those of you who are interested in, in pursuing various careers, this is a great show to give you some ideas and some, some again, some insight on what to look for. Uh, you can always find uh, the show if you haven't had a chance or you only caught part of it on the Private Air Media Group uh, YouTube channel and Facebook Live page. And uh, until next week, everybody stay safe, take care, and have a good one.